Welcome to Discovering Responsible Wealth. This is your host, Frank Congelos. It's a pleasure to be with you this week. Through the month of October, October we are recognizing as Financial Planning Month, which is my favorite topic, seeing how that's my career, that's where I spend all of my time. Our guest today is we have two. We have David Suki, one of my partners over at CNA Financial Group. David, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Welcome again. Thank you, Frank. Always a pleasure to be here. And we have a special guest with us today, which is Peter Grandich of Trinity Sports and Entertainment Management and the Athletes and Business Alliance. Peter is also an, the author of the book, Confessions of a Wall Street Whiz Kid. And Peter has a very extensive background in finance and investments. And Peter, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Welcome. Very pleasure to be here with you both. So for all of our listeners, last week when we started this topic of Financial Planning Month, we were spending a lot of time talking about what I refer to as the bucket theory and the idea being is in order to grow wealth, stop losing money in different areas of finance. This week, what we're going to do is we're actually going to spend a little bit more time looking at the financial planning process and what people experience, where are the opportunities, what are the challenges, and really try to give you some guidance on where you should be looking for your financial advice, what to look for in financial advice, and you know, pretty much anything we could do to help you. So with that in mind, what I'd like everybody to understand is when we think in terms of financial advice, seeing that I'm Italian and I always relate everything to food, you know, to me, it's like deciding ice cream, you know, which is you know, chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, whatever flavor it is of advice that you'd like to seek, you'll find that in the financial arena. So when we talk about the different flavors of advice, you know, everyone who's listening, you either have had perhaps very little planning advice, or it could be very extensive. And so we're going to talk about all the different topics there as we go through it. But we're going to start with what I refer to as, you know, what I call the no planning advice for people think that they're doing planning. And Dave, seeing how you spend so much of your career in financial planning like myself, Dave, as you're meeting with a lot of young couples and executives and so forth, what are you seeing? And when I say that is, is are you seeing that they do have plans in place? Are they written plans? Or what are you seeing in the financial planning arena? So um, the younger generations, Frank, the people that a lot I spend, when I mean younger, um, my age, maybe in our mid-30s, 40s. Mid-30s and young families. Young families. Um, plans aren't written for the most part. They're visually, you know, um, people picture what they want. So here's what they do a lot of times when I see them. They've bought products. And, though, and when I, you ask him, hey, have you ever sat down and had any, any type of planning done? Usually the experience is, yes, I have. I, you know, I bought uh, investments. I have a 529 for my kids for college, and I got a 401k at work and some insurance. So usually there's a product that leads them to believe they did planning. And yet you know through experience that there's a difference between product and planning. Right? Correct. Absolutely. Um, one doesn't necessarily have to have to do with the other. So uh, – that's been my experience. Um, I know Peter, you know, sitting next to me here, um, back when he's, he was working full-time and doing, uh, you know, giving advice to clients, it was, um, it was in one area. So um, nowadays, we're giving advice in a lot of areas. So it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic. You know, it's interesting is, you know, when David mentions that with regard to Peter, you know, I remember, you know, when Peter and I first met and most of Peter's conversations were really about investment, investment return, trying to find opportunities for people. And, you know, with that in mind is like, Peter, 
you know, many brokerage houses, and when I say brokerage houses is investment firms and so forth, a lot of what you did back then when you were providing investment advice do similar things today. What were some of the challenges, Peter, when you were, you know, talking about investments and so forth with people? What were the conversations that you were having then, and, what, you know, what have you been seeing? Well, I started 30 years ago, and there really wasn't even the terminology financial planner at that time. In fact, we were all called stockbrokers. And uh, the bulk of the business at that time was, you know, related around the sale of stocks and bonds. That's what the majority of so-called financial advisors, they weren't even called that at the time. In fact, when, when, when planning first came out and the, the buzzword that came out was CFP, uh, coming a certified financial planner, uh, there was an assumption by the public that because they were certified financial planner and there was a stockbroker, somehow a certified financial planner was smarter. Well, for one thing, yes, they did take certain courses to understand uh, that maybe that stockbroker didn't. But as you subsequently taught me many, many years ago, if the plan that they learned to taught was already broken, even though they didn't know it, what good was it that you were certified in it? And uh, But the terminology financial planning actually didn't even exist when I started. And then there was a movement really by everybody to kind of do everybody else thing. When I started, you saw an insurance agent, you saw a banker, and you saw a stockbroker. And they actually used to each refer to each other and each give each other a bottle at Christmas and what have you. And then when the, the industry got deregulated and everybody was allowed to go into everybody's business, uh, there was a messing of this. And, and, and born out of that was the you know uh, planning, that people would do planning. I'm sure you've already discussed in your show, you know, what plans work and what don't. But we didn't even consider ourselves planners at that time. At that time, you had a stock idea or a bond idea. You were given it. You were told to call a client, and that was the bulk of the business. That really doesn't exist anymore. If, if it does, only a handful of older guys in the business, the younger folks, aren't even doing that anymore. Most of that business, by the way, has been directed to discount brokers and people buying and selling individual stocks at places like that. You know, Peter, it's interesting as you're saying that, though, is like in my years of doing this, a lot of times when I first meet a client, however, uh, what's in a person's mind as it relates to planning is, is what do I do with my money? And when they're thinking in terms of what do I do with my money, it's generally around where can I achieve a better rate of return, a, you know, more return, more tax savings or whatever. And it often starts out seeking return first and they i guess you know from the old days of you know when they were had more people that were stockbrokers it was more transactional that foundation and that rooting is seems to me to still be there because it's when they think in terms of you meet with someone who's a planner and dave you may see it differently it's generally what do i do with the money that i have as if they seek return and they're seeking what do i do with my money versus you know what that certified financial planner perspective is, which is that all-encompassing total plan. So, Dave, what are you seeing? Yeah, well, it's rare that we even come across nowadays that all-encompassing plan. Yet, uh, we know it existed. Uh, when I first started in this career 15 years ago, I used to see booklets and graphs and pie charts and numbers that told me it existed. Um, nowadays, Frank, it, it, the industry's moved such to an asset under management that I have the same experience. It's about people feel they have to have money and have money to give somebody to order in order to do a plan. And yet that's f the furthest thing from the truth. So um, they feel like that they need to be in a place where they can afford to buy products or invest money. And like you said, to focus on how much can I get on my money so I can hopefully retire one day. 
So, you know, when I first started the show today, you know, I said that, you know, it's like different flavors of ice cream. So when I, I look at that and when I listen to, you know, our experts that we have with us today, you know, the first, you know, flavor that I would assume that people have is if I don't have a lot of money, I may actually do absolutely no planning, you know, which is, you know, if I don't have anything to work with at the moment, I'm not sitting on several thousand dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars. Perhaps I do no planning because I have nothing to plan for. Fair? Very fair. So. I, I think still the, the, the mistake that people make, and I see, and you're in the pits every day, I'm not, but I still think that whether they have no money, a little money, or a fair sum, they still think because they're led to believe that the bulk of it needs to be focused in the stock market somehow. Right. That that's their only legitimate way of turning a, whatever they have into something more. And I know you've spoken about this. But I think it's critical people to understand that if you think about it, that when 75% of professionals, these are the money managers that are out there that are supposed to know a lot more than you, they can't even beat the index that they're tied to, and yet we're turning over, we still see people turning over tens of billions of dollars in mutual funds and what have you to people hopefully to buy in it. And then the worst thing that was ever created, in my opinion, I've been doing this 30 years, Frank, was individuals having the access to do it by themselves. The Internet's brought a lot of great things, but one of the negatives it's brought is it brought people think that they can be traders. And I will tell you this, and you know this, I've run around in a big crowd. I've known some of the wealthiest people in the world. I know some of the best so-called money managers in the world. And I don't think I met three people in 30 years that I would have given my money to if I wasn't handling it myself because there's only about three people I've ever met that beat the market. Think about that. I mean, I know there's people listening. Of all the friends and everything you have, truly, what person do you know could actually say, I owe most of what I have to invest in, in the stock market? I, I think we, we couldn't even fill up one hand with that. Yet, the vast majority of people, if you look outside of their home, where do they have the bulk of their money? In stock-related items. You know, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. So that it's kind of like as I go through the different flavors. So we had the first flavor, which was no planning. And then from what Peter was just describing, now I have what I refer to as the occasional planning. And the occasional planning is I have money, and I ultimately take my money and I'm putting it into the stock market outside of a comprehensive plan. So now I'm doing this occasional type planning. And the reality is is that I really believe that because of the experiences that people go through, that they felt that it was necessary uh, to try to seek planning on their own. And when I say planning, or investment selection on their own. And what also happens is, is because of the Internet and advertising, I think that it prompts people to believe you can do it. So when I see my favorite commercial out, which is the E-Trade baby, <laughs> and he's sitting there, and he's, you know, dancing, and he's doing his thing, or, you know, he's in the crib, and he's, you know, solitaire again, whatever the case yeah. might be, they're – Appearance is, is that anyone could take tools, pick and choose a stock, pick and choose a bond or a mutual fund, and actually be successful doing it. And whether or not you can is not really what we're going to get into today, but that's just not the real world, you know, if you really think in terms of money. So, Yeah, and Frank, I think it's a, a – in the world we live in today, things move so fast. Technology is a big part of it. It's a different animal. It's so difficult, I think, to be great at a lot of things. You know, so for clients I see, if they have good careers, they have a family life. I mean, I know just in my own life with my children and the activities, it's challenging to to get all the necessary information to manage finances 100% on your own. 
uh, don't get me wrong, I think there's some people I know that do a good job, but they don't do it 100% on their own because I think it just takes so much time that they would sacrifice other areas of their life, and that, that's, that's not usually very fulfilling for them. My observation in, in doing this, like I've been doing it for so many years, is that I really believe that the consumer and our listeners and people that you know we get engaged with every day, that the challenge is, is that needs-based planning, I really believe, has damaged the market. And when I say damage the market is needs-based planning is another flavor. And what that basically does is when someone sits down with an advisor and they point out all of the different things that you need to do in your life, such as you need this, you need that, you need that, it'd be like coming home from work at the end of the day and your spouse come up to you and start going through the list of everything you need to do. You're going to be sitting there and saying, oh, my gosh, I should have worked overtime. Because anytime you have a need, it's almost, it turns into somewhat of a headache. And then the financial product that would be associated with that need was offered as an aspirin to the headache. So I believe that the consumer often felt a little bit manipulated, which is, I need, I need, I need. And you're pointing this out to me. And you're making me feel like I'm going to be a terrible person if I don't plan for retirement, if I don't save for my kid's education. And then it's going to cost me money at the end of the day, which is, perhaps something I don't have excess of, and so I'm conflicted. So instead of going through that experience, I believe what occurs is people see these commercials, they read articles, they catch Money Magazine when they're you know checking out of a store, and some of them will attempt to do it on their own. But I believe that the, the problem is, is needs-based planning, I think, is what pushed them outside of the box. I think people do more needs-based planning than all the others combined. And one of the things I've seen over the years, Frank, is when you get to needs-based planning, people take more risk because the need is greater. They've realized they've fallen behind saving for college, for retirement, and so they take more and more risk, and they're more susceptible to the products out there that seemingly minimize the risk but give you a better-than-average return, and there's no such thing as that. But that's what happens to a lot of people. You know, it's interesting is um, last weekend my wife and I, uh, we went to play golf, and when we got done playing golf, we were over in the Poconos, and we ended up going to one of the hotels out there that had a casino. And it was funny is I'm not one for gambling, but – you know, I'm sitting next to someone, and I'm looking, and I'm like, wow, look at the odds on this one and the odds of this. And just because of the way my mind works is that's how I envision a little bit of what Peter just said, which is, okay, here I've got two to one, okay, which is I got a 50-50 shot, but if, you know, or I can take that long shot of 30 to one. And so what happens is when I'm playing catch-up, the tendency is, although we ignore it, is we tend to get that 30 to one shot a little bit more, but in the investment arena, we refer to that as you know a standard deviation, you know, which is what l- amount of volatility risk. and risk am I willing to take? And then I start to what I call R and R, which is rationalize the ridiculous as to why I'm willing to do that. So I believe that this is part of what people are seeing nowadays, and none of that is predictable. Fair, very fair. And Frank, I think that um, through my experience in 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 this career is the industry's done a poor job of training people on how to help people become educated. They've done a very good job of teaching people how to sell. And actually, well, the statistics show, as you know, um, not a lot of people stay in the business, so maybe they haven't done that great of a job. But the fact is, in a short experience, you have a lot of what I call amateurs in the arena giving advice, 
and that's turned a lot of people off through the years. So that's what I see a lot of, that when we first meet them, they've had bad experiences, so that guards you as a person. You know, Dave, when you, when you mention that, it's interesting, is because there's all different ways that financial organizations grow, and when you grow based upon hiring lots of people, and you know they go out and they sell their friends and family, and they're not here you know, five years later, the, the industry has a 90% turnover rate, that's a challenge, you know, and it's a concern that people have. Peter, when you were dealing with the public, was the industry similar then? No, I think the similarity has disappeared. I think people are taking far more risk. I don't think there's very little training on educational side. It's just enough so you can get in front of somebody and sell a product and gather asset. And unfortunately, uh, Wall Street has seen that, and that's why I think people have really no chance if they're playing the stock market at all anymore to have any reasonable chance of expectation for a return. Very good. So for our listeners, today we're just getting into a little bit about the flavors of financial planning. We're going to, in our next week's show, is actually give you solutions and ideas of what you should be looking at as it relates to your overall plan. For all of our listeners, you've been listening to Discovering Responsible Wealth. Our guest today, David Suki, Peter Grantich, and this is your host, Frank Angelos. And for all of our listeners, we wish you a truly blessed week. If you have questions, you can email us at the Institute of Responsible Wealth, info at ifrw.com. Thank you and have a blessed week.